Genesis chapter 7. And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean beast thou shalt take to thee by sevens the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two the male and his female. Of fowls also of the air by sevens the male and the female, to keep seed alive upon the face of all the earth. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. And Noah did according unto all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean beasts, and of beasts that are not clean, and of fowls, and of everything that creepeth upon the earth, there went in two and two unto Noah into the ark, the male and the female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, the seventeenth day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the selfsame day entered Noah, and Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They, and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth. And the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land, died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth an hundred and fifty days. Genesis chapter 7. Verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household. He doesn't say go, he says come. He told him, build yourself an ark. This, obviously this ark was for Noah's benefit, but he's there with him. Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So it took him about 100 years, 100 plus years to build this thing. And I don't think he finished driving the last nail and the Lord says, okay, let's go. Who knows how long it had been finished, giving mankind a chance.
chance to get right with God. But the day came when it was time to get on board, all aboard. Verse 2, you shall take with you seven each or seven pair of every clean animal, a male and his female. So 14 sheep, 14 goats, 14 cows, animals for sacrifice as well as for eating. A male and his female. Also seven each of birds. So two each of animals that are unclean. Only two pigs. <laughs> Only two cockroaches. What about bugs? It doesn't mention them. It says everything that creeps on the earth. I'm sure the bugs were probably already there. And Noah probably ran them off. Only two. Only two. And seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, so 14 doves and 14 chickens, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So they go on board the ark, and there's seven days of waiting. God's merciful, isn't he? Verse 7, so Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Seven days prior. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep, can you say deep? Great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened. Deep. You know, science has recently discovered that there's a barrier between uh, our part of the earth and the mantle, what's called the mantle inside the earth, about 400 miles deep down there, there's a mineral called ringwoodite, and ringwoodite contains enough water to replace our ocean's water three times. More than three times the amount of ocean water we have on the earth's surface is 400 miles below us. That's deep. On that day, the fountains of the deep, great deep were open up, and the windows of heaven were open. The rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, of every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in, as God commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The language there implies the Lord's not just shutting the door, but the Lord enclosing them. So he already said, come into the ark. Then seven days later, he comes behind him and closes him. He's our foreguard and our rear guard. 
and surround him. There's no way this boat's going to sink. The hand of God is at work with a man who found grace in his eyes. The Lord shut him in. Verse 17, now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The water increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. No sail, no rudder, no steering wheel. Just a free-wheeling, gigantic barge. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. So over 22 and a half feet of possibly rainfall. And then with these fountains opening up, that water. And then uh, how did these fountains open up? Could be earthquake, volcanoes, tsunamis. Everything gets hit with water and destroyed with water. The ark moved about on the surface of the waters. The ark prevailed exceedingly on the earth. The waters did. All the high hills, the waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. All flesh died that moved on the earth, verse 21. Birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. What about mosquitoes? They can live in water, folks. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the earth, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. And then they came to a standstill. On a mountain range called Ararat, the tallest of which is 17,000 feet tall. So 150 days of free sailing, and then they land somewhere really high. So I believe the literal flood covered the earth. It was not a local flood. God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, start over again, return back to the beginning. Noah started over like Adam started afresh to populate the earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us in such a way that we consider the relationship that we have with you or don't have with you. Lord, I pray that you would become Lord to every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to speak to you today on why salvation is vitally important. Can you say important? Vitally important. Why is it? Well, there's coming a day of judgment. And outside of a relationship with Jesus, who is our ark, there is no assurance of protection from that judgment. Judgment day is coming for when we all stand before him, but there's judgment coming to the earth as well. Last time I spoke, we saw on why we need a covenant with God. When God told Noah to build the ark, he told him, I'm going to destroy everything, but I'm making a covenant. So Noah could have built all the arks that man and beast would ever need, and it would have done no good had God not made a covenant. There's no way he was going down because of the covenant God made. God's judgment 
always comes for endorsed cruelty on the innocent. When you legalize injustice, enforce it, do not do anything about injustice in the earth, and it begins to take a hold in a culture and in the world, God's judgment is coming. God's judgments are preceded by periods of warning. He's a loving God, but he always warns. But his covenant provides a way of escape for believers. So those who would point a bony finger at God and accuse him of genocide have no leg to stand on anyway. They already point their fingers at God. Why is there such wickedness in the world? You know, how, how do they try to have their cake and eat it? You know, why is there so much evil in the world? And yet, man is basically good. How do you get that? A world is so full of suffering because of man's wickedness, and yet man's basically good. The world that this was was really bad. Imagine a godfather never dying for centuries. Imagine El Chapo living for 500 years, the damage he could cause. You know, outlive his sentence and still be in operation. Imagine Mugabe still reigning in Zimbabwe. Imagine, you know, the president never stepping down. Imagine dictatorships ruling the earth. This place was wicked and minimal. There's no capital punishment. I'm sure there's vigilantes running rampant in the earth. That is a wicked place. Somebody had to clean house. God gave Noah grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Didn't say he earned it, said he found it. I don't know that he was looking for it, but he said, thank God for grace, right? And so because of that grace, God gave him the plan of redemption, which involved an ark. God has revealed to us his plan of redemption, which is in the gift of his son. And we're living now in that period of warning. There's no doubt there's wickedness in the earth. Just, you know, read the news and read the fake news. Read the true news. There's this wickedness, wickedness, wickedness. Sometimes newspapers report on it. Sometimes newspapers reveal how wicked they are. Ruining people's reputations and then complaining when movies don't get it right. Just, it's, it's a tough place we live in. All right. Why salvation is vitally important. Three things. God's word is true, that's why. His judgments are sure, that's why. And we need to heed his warning. God's word is true. Did the great flood really occur? You know we have fossils on this land of sea life. Just walk across there, rocks are everywhere, pick them up and look at them. Got bones of fish and oysters, all different kinds of things here. The earth was covered with water. So those that are skeptical of the great flood say there's not enough water on the earth for that. So how is that possible? Yet they believe the earth was covered with water. So trying to have their cake and eat it again. Did the great flood really occur? I believe it did, not just because the Bible says it did, but the fossil record communicates such. Here's Ken Ham, who's the leader of Answers in Genesis, a ministry based in Kentucky, where they have a replica, uh, size for size, cubit for cubit, of the ark. Here he is to talk about this phenomenal flood. 
Was there really a Noah's Ark and flood? In Genesis chapter 6 through 9 in the Bible, we read there about an account of a global flood in the time of Noah. That flood, according to the Bible, was sent by our created God because of the wickedness of man as a judgment because of their rebellion against their Creator. Now Noah was called by God to build a boat for he and his family and representatives of all the animal kinds, the land animal kinds, to survive this global flood. Was there really such a flood? Could Noah really build such an ark that would fit all the representatives of the land animal kinds on board the ark? Actually, if there really was a global flood that covered the highest hills under the whole of heaven, as the Bible describes, you'd expect to find billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. And actually, what we find are billions of dead things buried in rock layers laid down by water all over the earth. I'm talking about the fossil record. Most of the fossil record is actually the graveyard of the flood of Noah's day, not a result of millions of years of deposition as the secularists tell us. There really was a global flood. The evidence is crying out at us from all over the earth. But could Noah actually build such a boat to take two of every kind of land-dwelling, air-breathing animal? Well, actually, yes. And in fact, most people don't realize he didn't need to take near as many animals on board the ark as we might think. For instance, today we have, when you look at dogs, dingoes, wolves, coyotes, jackals, bennet, foxes, and so it goes on, and our domestic dogs. Well, Noah didn't take all those on board the ark. Actually, he'd only need two dogs. When those dogs came off the ark after the flood, eventually different species formed. Dingoes, wolves, coyotes. That's not evolution, by the way. That's just dogs. That's just representing variation within the gene pool of the dog kind. When you actually work it out, Noah needed far fewer animals on board the ark than most people think. Actually, when you look at the size of the ark, as the dimensions are recorded in the Bible, you realize that Noah really built a boat bigger than what he really needed. Why would that be? Well, God is a gracious God. And you know, when the animals were on board the ark and Noah and his family are on board the ark, that ark then stood for seven days before God shut the door. What was happening during those seven days? Well, the Bible says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I believe he was calling the people of that time to come on board the ark and to come through the doorway to be saved. But they scoffed at God's word and then God shut the door. Actually, Noah's ark is a picture of salvation. You see, there's a coming judgment by fire, not by water next time. And God's provided an ark of salvation for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the door, by me if any man enter in he will be saved. Jesus is our ark of salvation. And just as surely as there was a flood, and we see the evidence all over the earth in the fossil record, just as surely there's going to be coming judgment by fire. There's also other evidence that Noah's flood really occurred. Did you know that there are cultures all over the world that have flood legends? I'm sure many of us have heard of the flood legends, the American Indians, the Fijians, the Hawaiians, Eskimos, the Australian Aborigines back to the Babylonians. Many of those flood legends just sound like the account of the flood in Genesis chapter six through nine. They're different, they've been changed, but the elements are there. How could that be? Well, that flood really occurred and Noah and his family knew about the flood. And of course, that information was passed to their children and onto their children and so on through the Tower of Babel to the different people groups we see around the world today. But the real record is in the Bible. It hasn't changed. But the fact that we have flood legends attests to the fact that the Bible really is true. It really is the true history book of the universe. Could the ark have worked? The University of Leicester, Leicester in the United Kingdom, 
had a group of postgraduate or master's students research this. Could the ark have done it? They determined that it would need to hold 35,000 species, 70,000 animals. Could the ark, with what it weighed, hold that many animals? Well, not knowing what gopher wood is anymore, they, they designed the ark scientifically with their math and their computers out of cypress and determined it could hold the weight of 2 million sheep, 2.15 million sheep. That's some weight, including its own weight. So it was seaworthy in its size and able to carry, well able to carry that. Uh, the replica of the ark in Kentucky, they learned in rebuilding it that there was room for people on this thing. Not all the people in the world, but there was room for more people than just eight. So consider the mercy of God extending, you know, 120 years of warnings plus as well as the testimony of this huge boat being built, and then seven days from the time it's going to happen, people still wouldn't heed the warning that it gave. Over 350 cultures in the world have a story of the flood in their folklore, in their legends, in their mythology, and the similarities between the two are, are very interesting. A man named Jeremy Wiles is... Uh, it's taking him a while, but he's planning on coming out with a film called Ark Hunter, where he travels to a lot of these cultures that have this story. Here's a brief report on what he's done thus far. 2004, I started on a journey that would change the rest of my life forever. And it started with this question. How far would I go to find the truth? With nothing more than a backpack, a cheap camera, a little bit of money, I set out to find Noah's Ark in eastern Turkey and evidence of a biblical flood to see if the story was really true. You know, you grow up in church hearing about the story of Noah's Ark, but how many really believe it, literally? Even though I thought I believed in the biblical story, there were things in my belief system that went totally against it. So I had questions, like how did all the animals fit into the Ark? Was it a local or a global flood? And where did all the water go? I didn't doubt the Bible's authenticity, but I had legitimate questions because I wanted to get to the truth. This journey has taken me literally around the world for the past eight years of my life. And it has led me to some very astonishing evidence. Finding Noah's Ark has really been my primary goal. I think one really fascinating point in the story of the Ark is that there are over 350 cultures around the world that have a story of a biblical flood. That journey took me to these different tribes around the world where I, I lived with the tribes and I talked with the tribal leaders and they told me these stories that they had that they've carried down for centuries, generation after generation. And I went through China, this Chinese man in his late 80s, he actually sung the story of the biblical flood to me that they've passed down through generations. And I went into the jungle of the Philippines and met with a tribal leader. His 106-year-old grandfather told him the story of the flood, and he told me the story of the flood. 
I went to India and I met with a sadhu on the Ganges River and he told me the, the story of a character called Nu, which in Hindi means Noah. They corroborated with the biblical story of the flood. Searching for the truth sometimes comes at a cost, but it is worth it. Two years ago, I went on a different journey, and this was a journey into the human soul. One thing that I've learned in making the Conquer series, it's the importance of truth. Because for real transformation, you have to know the truth and believe it. The truth about God's grace, it's a powerful truth. It's actually the most powerful thing in the Conquer series. In the same way that Noah's Ark was sealed with pitch, inside and out from the flood we're sealed with the cross with with the blood of jesus christ it covers us it covers us from from all condemnation from all shame he bore that on himself on the cross he is our salvation he's our spiritual ark i can't wait for that to come out that'll be awesome some will say well where did all the water come from well we talked in weeks past about the second day of creation, that there was the firmament in the atmosphere that separated water below it from water that was above it. So there was water in our atmosphere above the earth. Uh, second Peter talks about the earth being in water and out of water. Here is that statement. Those who are critical of the coming judgment willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This is a sketch of the earth's atmosphere. We live in what's called the troposphere that extends up to the ozone layer. The ozone layer is what scientists are real concerned about. It's only 3 sixteenths of an inch thick. And uh, when it gets thin, it's not a good thing in terms of radiation. You have the other spheres, so this water canopy would have existed in one of these spheres until the day of the great flood. Thus, we lost protection from radiation that we once had, and the Earth had a denser atmosphere, creating a hyperbaric chamber kind of effect, which also would have prolonged our life. And then the fountains of the great deep um, came from under the Earth's surface to the surface to help flood the Earth. And the ringwoodite that has been discovered that's 400 miles deep below our Earth's crust that contains enough water to be over three times the amount of water that our oceans are. And uh, so it's kind of a barrier between where we live and the mantle that gets really hot, not counting the outer core and the inner core. So the earth was in the water and out of water. But the same word that preserved this word for judgment, the heavens are now pre pre preserved for fire. 21% of the troposphere's atmosphere is oxygen. If that increases by 10%, we burst into flames. 
It was just a matter of time. It's going to happen. But we're living in that season of wanting me to do well and eat it. And, of course, we know the earth inside is a raging. Volcanoes give us glimpses of just how hot it is down there. This place is going to melt, the Bible says. So God's word is true, and his judgments are sure. Does he have the right to judge? Do we have the right to accuse him of genocide when he decides to make a judgment call to put an end to wickedness? He doesn't make puppets out of us and make us good people. He calls us to goodness, extends grace to us so that we can come to him and have our lives changed and repent of our wickedness. But only he can do that. So does he have a right to judge us? Well, my God doesn't judge. Well, your God's not the God of the Bible. In fact, Elohim means judge or magistrate. He is a judge. He tells us not to judge, but yet we have to make judgments call. When Jesus said, do not judge lest you be judged, the next statement he says, and don't cast your pearls before swine which means the pearls you have, those things that are precious for you, you've got to make judgment calls as to what you do with that. In other words, be enough of a judge to not let just anybody babysit your baby. You're making judgment calls. So to say we should never judge is dumb. It's not what the Bible says. All right, I just made a judgment call. I'm sorry. Isaiah prophesied, chapter 29, 15, and 16. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord, your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. You got things turned around. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay that the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me? Or the thing formed say of him who formed it, he has no understanding? That's the day in which we live. The clay yelling at the potter, you're not real. Does that hold any water? No. Is our world very wicked? Some people object to believing in God because of all the wickedness in the world. If there was a God, he's not doing a good job. Why are there so many dictators and the mafia and evil people? Well, you're not in heaven. You turn this over to us and look, look at what we are doing. God relates to us individually, but he also relates to us corporately. How are we doing as a people? <laughs> Not so good. The world is wicked. You know, the people that complain about the wickedness in the world want to believe that everybody's going to heaven. If everybody's going to heaven, then guess what? Heaven becomes earth too. Or am I stirring up some debates today? Is God very merciful? He is. We as a people are so wicked, and yet he is so merciful. The wickedness that exists in the world that's not being dealt with yet is a testimony of the mercy of God. He will make all things right one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, 2 Peter 3, 9 as some have understood slowness. He's not a slacker. Instead, he is patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's the mercy of God. But do not take it for granted. Those in Noah's day learned the hard way. So God's word is true. His judgments are sure. And we need to heed his warning. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24 and Luke 17. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. Anything wrong with that? Not a normal, right? But if you have a eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die, living in the now moment mentality without considering the warnings that are yours, you're not, a, you're not wise. Marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Luke 17. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. Seven days later, the flood came and destroyed well, I've got plans. Oh, really? Jesus told the parable of the kingdom, remember? The kingdom is a feast. And people that wouldn't come because they had plans. I bought a piece of land. I've married a wife. I've this, I've that. Nothing compares to the value of your eternal soul. Think of the future. Nothing is important as a relationship with God. So we need to heed his warning. We read this earlier. Those who are skeptical of this kind of thing, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old. He created the firmament. And the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter continues, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat? Oh, that's just hyperbole. That's just a parent telling their child they're going to kill him to get him to obey. That's just an empty threat. I wonder if people in Noah's day said that. Oh, flood is just hyperbole. Oh, the ark is just a symbol. Are we living in a wicked day? Is God the one with the right to judge and clean house? Is he our maker? And is there warnings going forth? Where do you stand? 
you saw last time I spoke, God's judgment is for endorsed cruelty on the innocent. Don't, don't get me started on abortion. If you're pregnant, we will extend mercy to you. Pregnancy is not a sin. Sin can make you pregnant. In fact, it'll help put a stop to the sin because now it's exposed, right? But do not, do not sacrifice your child to the God of convenience. Think of the future. At the uh, Brazos Pregnancy Celebration, uh, I think their 25-year celebration, uh, a young mother stood. She's young, but she wasn't as young. When, she, when they served her, she was 12 years old, pregnant. And through their influence, she gave birth to her children. Well, others wanted her to have an abortion. They showed pictures of those twin boys graduating from university. She went on and had three more children, one of whom we know, his name is Chris. He's a good friend with our own Chris. Together they rocked their high school campus for Jesus with their peers, with the Revive uh, Festival, the Revive services that happened over a two- to three-year period at our high school. Who knows what destiny lies in your womb? I'm reaching out to somebody today. Don't give in to the world that endorses destruction of the innocent. God's judgments are preceded by periods of warning. This could be a warning period for someone. Maybe judgment day doesn't come just yet, but maybe the day of your judgment is real near. Are you ready to stand before your maker? And his covenant makes a way of escape for believers. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, especially for that person that doesn't know you, Lord, give the gift of saving faith, I ask. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. Lord, may we turn from our wicked ways and receive the benefit of the covenant you made for us on the cross by receiving the judgments of God for sin in your own body. You've taken the judgment for us so that we do not have to receive it. As we sing and celebrate this next song, think about the condition of your soul before God. You may say, well, my life's a mess. You don't get good to get God. You get God and He makes you good. In fact, you're the perfect candidate to step out and receive the grace that He extends to you today.
Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him not have to perish, but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Blood is coming, saints, but salvation is extended. The offering is given. If you believe what I said, call on his name. Believe in him. Jesus, I call on you. I trust in you to forgive me of my sins, remove everything from my life that's a barrier between me and you, and I give you my life. If you've given in your life, it's something you do every day. It's called the walk. It's discipleship. When did you give your life to the Lord? I gave it this morning. I gave it yesterday. I'm going to give my life to the Lord tomorrow morning. I trust Him to lead and guide. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord, Jehovah himself, cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that is based upon his victory, his conquest, and not compromise. And may you be an instrument of that peace everywhere you go. Go get it, Tigers. Don't leave here and not be a Jesus follower. We want to talk to you. God bless you.